Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now of Plato's Gravity Podcast is joining us on today's show as we discuss beer packaging. This is one of the most fundamental parts of beer brewing. What starts with bottling quickly turns into kegging, and then next thing you know, you've built a keezer. So on today's show, we're going to talk about all things packaging on homebrewing DIY. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruising ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruising. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're talking about all things beer packaging. We're going to start with bottles, and then we're going to take a different roads, maybe get into some kegging, maybe even canning, and we'll even talk about what it takes to build a keezer. Aaron Haig of Plato's Gravity Podcast joins me today, and we're going to talk about all things packaging. Please support the podcast on Patreon. Your monthly support keeps us on the air and helps this podcast improve. There are tons of great benefits for being a supporter. Some of the great benefits are early show access or ad-free episodes. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY to support us today. Once again, that's head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. 
You can also support the show by reviewing us on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. Your ratings and reviews help other homebrewers find this show. The last way to support the show is to head over to our website at homebrewingdiy.beer and click on our sponsor banner for Brewfather. Brewfather has a great version, so you can try it out. And if you want to upgrade to the pro version, Brewfather will send us a little support as well. Once again, head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and click on the Brewfather banner. It's really great, powerful brewing software, and you just need to try it. Your feedback is always appreciated, and you can at any time send us feedback to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. You can also send your feedback to our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle is at homebrewingdiy. Just look for us there. Now, on to the show where we talk to Aaron Hag about packaging your beer on Homebrewing DIY. I'd like to welcome Aaron Haig from Plato's Gravity Podcast. He's going to join us today on the Homebrewing DIY Podcast, and we're going to talk about packaging beer in general. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. So today, I, I, we're going to definitely talk about packaging beer. But since you are a podcaster, I'm a podcaster. Let's talk a bit about the show that you do. Yeah, so uh, we do Plato's Gravity. Uh, we we started a little over uh, a year and a half ago. It's hard to believe it's it's been that long. And we we started uh, mostly because we wanted uh, to kind of create the the kind of homebrew club environment for people who didn't go to homebrew clubs. We kind of stumbled into a homebrew club meeting, didn't know that thing existed, but we brewed beer, and it was amazing. And everyone was so welcoming. We're like, oh, everyone should know about this. So let's start a podcast. Um, and then we, we mostly focused on home brewers, and then we, we kind of uh, got a, a couple professional brewers who invited us to come and interview them. So now we do just a little bit of both. In one of our more recent episodes, we talked to somebody who was in the beer distribution industry for a while. Uh, so we're we're in the bit of a uh, we're in the middle of a bit of a rebrand, and I think we're going to call ourselves Plato's Gravity, a beer podcast, because we, we kind of like talking about beer, not just from the homebrew angle, which we still definitely will will, will have homebrewing guests on. Uh, but also the the craft beer, and then also the the business side of beer. It's 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 uh we have we have a little bit of fun. That's awesome. I actually I did listen to that episode where you had the distributor on, and and really that side of the business was really fascinating to me. I I worked in the restaurant business for a long time, but his insights from the distributor side, because I think he came from the restaurant business as well, was sure, just really yeah. a, it was a really good episode. Uh, yeah, and Bob's a great guy. So 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 his take is better than most, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was super detailed, really talked to, very passionate about beer, which is always great. And uh, yeah, that was a great show to hear. And and then, you know, I personally, you know, if, if, you, if you listen to one of the most recent episodes, I was on the show, which we also had quite a chat. I think it was pretty fun. We uh, we definitely had a good time. We 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 uh, what what would have happened on the show if I really did what I wanted to do is I would have asked you more questions about how to get a brew pie set up because I, I very much want to do this and that might come up later on today because brew pies and uh, packaging beer sometimes go together at least in terms of your fermentation setup leading into your kegging setup. Yeah, definitely something we could uh, discuss is it, you know I, I tend to be a little technology focused on this podcast and actually on this episode. I wanted to kind of get back to a basic, right? And packaging beer is, I think, one of the more fundamental pieces of uh, homebrewing when it comes to the idea that, hey, 
you, you, you've made a bunch of beer. It's sitting in a fermenter and it has to get carbonated somehow. Well, I, I think in keeping with the theme of, of your show, I, I think the, before we st- start talking about like the physical bottling of beer, I think my favorite tool, um, I guess I call it DIY, because is it DIY if I'm using something for its not intended purpose? I think it is, and if it's not, it's, it's, I'm still going to call it that. I'm totally going with that. Yes, I agree. So you, your best implement in bottling beer is your dishwasher. Run that thing on sanitized, empty before you have it. There is no better tool for holding your upside down bottles than your than your dishwasher. You you put your you get your your beer packaging set up right above it. You pull them out of there. Any leaks just go right into the dishwasher. It's a great deal. You know, I actually bottle beer exactly the same way. Yeah, dishwasher. And, yeah, it's good stuff. Yep. I open the door. I actually put all my board, bottles on the door of the dishwasher when I do bottle. Um, my, my current setup is obviously I do keg, but when I keg, I fill my keg, I always have a little bit of beer remaining and, uh, I usually take a few bottles. I, I like to have about three or four bottles of every batch just for, you know, six months down the road. I want to try that beer again and I have it as bottled up. That's, that's kind of my, my fallback on that. Yeah, and I think you know you you can get bottle trees and fancy things like that, but usually, I mean, at least for me, my bottle tree sits in my basement and gets dusty, um, and I can't just push a button and come back an hour later and it be clean. Yeah, it's totally. You know what? It does work, and the yeah. dishwasher works, and it works well. Uh, I will say, you don't want to use soap in the dishwasher because the soap residue will a could leave a flavor, and b kills your head. Like uh, people don't understand how killer of a, he- a head killer uh, soap is. So I'm really glad you brought that up. So my wife and I have like an ongoing uh, debate. She does not like it that we are not allowed to use rinse aid in our dishwasher in the rinse aid container because you can't turn that off, right? So we use – we have like a little – we buy the the expensive dishwasher packets that have the rinse aid in the dishwasher packet. So it's a per – it's a per uh, batch thing so that there's no rinse aid when I sanitize before I make the beer. You know, I don't think – I think a lot of people don't think about that. This is uh, this is we're bringing value here today to your bottling experience. We're 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 saving the head. Yep. So before we start talking about packaging beer, really getting into it, one last thing I, I think we should at least kind of hit upon is a bit of the format of your show and kind oh, of like sure. if I if I were to listen to Plato's Gravity podcast, what what does a normal show look like? Uh, so we, we we're usually interviewing uh, we're usually interviewing a guest. Uh, we we try to. F- highlight uh some elements of that guest experience with beer um we have some shows that that where we go to like technical places but i think the best episodes are when we can kind of just get into the story of the brewer um or in some cases the distributor or whatever it may be and that's the first half hour then we have a musical interlude which is uh done by jason's uh jason's college band it's delightful he should uh tune in just to listen to it uh, it's the same every time um, and then for the second half of the show, we try to have a little fun. So we might ask questions. We might talk about things that aren't necessarily related to beer. Uh, we play a fun game called Tap on Tap where our uh, our uh, guests try to guess the name of a beer uh, based on three random untapped reviews. It's an impossible game and mostly just a good opportunity to talk about beer. Uh, and then, of course, uh, my co-host Jason asked an off-the-wall question 
uh, every time, which which leads us to to dark and funny and interesting places. Yep, and I sucked at top on tap, but I did get one of three right, so I'll be happy I mean, with that. If you don't get one star uh, or one bottle cap or whatever, whatever, I think it's little cheers glasses in my show notes. <laughs> one, one is respectable. Exactly, one is respectable. So let's hop right into uh, beer packaging and and kind of go down that road. So. Let's start with bottling. Bottling is the most basic of beer packaging. So, you know, one of the things I I would say that if I'm a brand new home brewer, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, start talking about bottling, right? And I I would say, let's talk about, in your opinion, your experience, what are some of the, you know, obviously you've told us about the dishwasher, and that really is a great trick. If if you've never bottled a batch before, you're thinking about your first batch, the dishwasher trick is a big deal. Put it on the door of the dishwasher when you you are going to overflow beer. It just right. is going to happen. It's part of the experience. And to not do that on your floor and have to clean up and mop is a big deal. Well, right. And you need to sanitize your bottles before you package. And the, the thing that I, I know as a Star Sand label reader that you're not supposed to fear the foam. And then if there's foam in your bottle, it's okay. But I still don't like when there's a shit ton of foam in my beer uh, bottle. So I like to let my bottle sit upside down. So I, you know, you know, like I said, I heat sanitize the dishwasher. I get some sanitizing stuff on the stuff, and then I just upside down the bottles on the uh, on the dishwasher uh, spindles. I've never had I've never had bacterial infections in my bottle beer because of this. Yes, uh, I personally use Starsan as well, but because I bottle so few beers when I bottle. Personally, uh, star sand distilled water in a spray bottle is the mm. is the is the go to solution. Uh, so you I think, do fear the foam. Yes, I I don't fear the foam actually. I oh. spray it heavily with that, and it's covered in foam. But uh, you know what I do is as long as I have a very clean bottle, and you do make sure that it's clean. There's no residue. There's no beer stone. If you're using lots of bottles, you'll see it build up a beer stone. You want to make sure that bottle is spotless clean. And then from there, so example would be if you came straight out of the dishwasher, it's upside down, you didn't use soap on it, you you know maybe threw uh, a scoop of OxyClean in there could be a good example. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then you come out, you would look and you could see the inside. There's there's really no buildup or residue. I'm then going to turn around and just take my spray bottle of Star Sand, a few squirts right inside, swish it around, dump it out, and go right into the bottle. That's at least Absolutely. my setup. Yeah, and to be to be clear, I don't I don't put the bottles in the, in the dishwasher. Okay, the, it's it, the dishwasher is completely empty, and then I sanitize and clean in my sink like normal. But that's where I rest them. That's where they dry out. Ah, uh, no. yeah, I actually run my bottles through my dishwasher. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so I I take my dishwasher. I have no no. Uh, I I actually will take uh, all my dish my bottles. I will put them upside down in the bottom rack of my dishwasher. I will actually put uh, I've put OxyClean in my dishwasher all the time. It actually cleans the inside of my dishwasher really well. Yeah. Uh, quick trick there for anybody who wants to clean their dishwasher. And uh, and then from there, it actually uh, go, it has a rinse cycle, all of that. And then that's actually how I clean my bottles. Nice. It's um, I, I try to clean my bottles right away because I hate like I want my bottling beer experience to be as fast as possible. Yep. So so I want the day that I'm bottling beer to be a quick a quick rinse in in some PBW and a quick rinse in the sanitizer and let's get the show on the road. And if you come back and you got gunk in the bottom of your bottles, no dice. No dice. Forever. Yeah, that and you should, I to be honest, I wash every bottle as I drink it if I'm keeping bottles. 
Yeah, absolutely. Good plan. Yep. So uh, you can use any bottles you'd like. Uh, you can use reuse, definitely reuse bottles that you buy from commercial beer. That's the easiest way to acquire bottles. Now, I will say, if you are a neat freak and you don't like the you don't want the commercial label, or if you don't like the the sticky stuff that comes when you try to take the label off, again, if you set that in OxyClean or PBW, and instead of rent, instead of letting it sit for like you know two or three minutes just to kill the the nasty on the inside of the bottle, if you let that sit for like ten minutes, that stuff comes right off. Totally, and PBW, PBW over OxyClean on that one. PBW yeah. is amazing. It works really well. Uh, don't get me wrong, OxyClean is going to work, but it does take a little bit longer. It's not as good as PBW. Well, it's not professional, right? The professional yeah. brewer, brewery wash. It's, it's right to- in the name. Totally, but uh, PBW has something in that surfactant that actually just works a little bit better. So uh, personally, when I've done bottle labels, that's been my go-to. Yeah, absolutely. And so, when you're bottling beer, what 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 does your bottling setup look like? Um, so typically, if I'm bottling, uh, I'm bottling straight. Uh, uh, what? So, if I'm gonna bottle beer, the the first thing I do is I boil my sugar because I always forget. And then it comes time to bottle, and I'm like all ready to go, and I'm like, oh fuck! And I get a couple bottles down, and I'm like, well, those aren't gonna carbonate or <laughs> shit. So I usually measure. The first thing I do is I measure my sugar, uh, get in some water, and then I uh, I, I dump that in. Uh, I dump it in the whole batch, let it sit for a second. Um, I usually rack off of the fermenter into a bottling bucket. I have one of the little five gallon buckets with a with a a spigot at the bottom, but I don't use the spigot cause I'm, I just, I, there's no possible way I'm keeping that plastic spigot clean in between, in, in between. So I, uh, use a siphon and I have a little bottle, a uh, little bottling wand and we, uh, we usually it's a two, it's a two or three person operation. Um, so I'm usually down, uh, on my knees, uh, at the dishwasher. Uh, so I, so I use the siphon, so I need the gravity. Uh, so I'm down there I get the, the beer in the bottle. I get the thing right up to the top and I sit on the counter and my wife, puts the cap on and hands me a fresh bottle and we're good to go that that and that's uh i think the thing that most people do is it does help to have a friend when you're bottling especially if you're bottling 40 50 bottles of beer um the way i personally do it is obviously now i do keg and so we'll get into kegging here in a minute but the idea is that when i personally bottle i i tend to take my five gallon bottling bucket i do use the spigot on it um, yeah. One thing with those spigots, uh, when trying to get them clean, they do come apart. They you can take them out off the bottom. Um, they unscrew. You you can definitely get in there with like a you know with uh, you don't want to get in there with a brush or anything because you don't want to scratch it. It is plastic, but you right. can give them a good soak and you can get in there. One thing with that though is is that you have like the bottling wand, and the sure. bottling wand is that plastic. It's the it's the plastic piece and it has the little uh, it's kind of like a trigger on the bottom. It, it's like a little piece of plastic sticks out the bottom and when you push the bottom of the bottle up to it, it releases the beer out the top. Uh, well, it releases the bottle and fills the bottle from the bottom up. Right. So what I do is you know when I first brewed my first batch, I had that and I had it against a hose and I'm like trying to go from bottle to bottle to bottle. I made a huge mess. It was disgusting and please don't ever do that. What I found over the years is I'm still doing it over the top of my dishwasher drawer. But what I do now is I, I actually take that bottling spigot and actually the stick it into the into the valve that comes out the bottom. Sure. So it's like all one piece if if that makes any sense, right? Oh, so you don't have any, you don't have any hose. You're you're There's going no hose. bottle bottle filler right from the spigot. That's yes. not a bad idea. And then that spigot, you just take the bottle 
and you lift it to it and push the bottom to it and then when you right. drop it off it it actually can very few drops come out makes very little mess and you can bottle really quickly so, so in terms of the bottle filler form factors and by the way if you're going to try to bottle without a bottle filler just stop like yes that's the, yeah just get a bottle they're 10 bucks like it's fine but in terms of bottle filler form factor are you spring or no spring spring Spring, yeah, I, I completely agree. I had a no spring one because it's the one that my homebrew shop had for a long time. My buddy brought over a spring one. I bought it with that, and I was like, oh, I'll never go back. Yeah, the springs are way better, and they and uh, get like I said, yeah, I think I I bought mine for seven dollars at the homebrew store, and it's done me just fine. Uh, and then you know, but I I bottled a couple batches. I actually bottled one that one batch I just talked about, and uh, the next day I was like, this sucked, and went and bought a keg and uh bought a keg setup it you know if you were to be bottling uh and you were like sorry if you were to start kegging what are the kind of basic setups you need to start kegging what's the what are the parts so you know i i think this is kind of a a rabbit hole and i I think my, my first piece of advice would be not to get a kit if you're trying to save money um so I might have an interesting take on this. I'm a kind of a small time. I'm a small shop guy. I don't drink a ton of beer, so I don't. So so one, I use a uh, 20 ounce uh, paintball CO2 canister uh, with the regulator that I got that, that 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 fits that thing, and that thing will go through like four five gallon kegs of beer. I base I bought two of them for cheaper than I can get a five gallon canister, so I can always keep one full, and the CO2. You gotta take them to if you live near Dick Sporting Goods. You take those those twenty ounce things to the paintball shop at the Dick Sporting Goods, and you get it filled up, and it's like a quarter the cost of CO two in a five gallon. If you take it to like a CO a two place to get, you know, your five pounds. So if you're willing to put up with the frequent changes, that's a that's a good way to save money right there. Um, you're gonna need a keg. Uh, you're gonna need a regulator. Uh, you're gonna need some fittings. I would uh, recommend going with the Odeker clamps. Uh, are you familiar with these Odeker clamps? Uh, yeah, those are the ones that clamp down. Yeah, like to see. Yeah, you can kind of like you buy the Odeker tool and then you get the clamp and you you knock it on. It's it's for me, like the worst thing that you can do in kegging is have a leak in your CO2 system because then yep. your CO2 is gone. Especially if you just have a 20 ounce tank like I do. Uh, <laughs> you run if you have a leak that that goes by quick. I, I got to be honest, having a leak's worse if you have a 20 pound tank. Cause, well, I guess you could lose more, right? Yeah, you yeah. lose more, and it's more expensive to fill, right? So, right. Um, well, you might be able to go like overnight with a leak in a twenty-pound tank, but if you have a if you have a slow leak in that twenty-ounce tank, you're you're pretty much gone. True, true, but yeah, but, but it, it is expensive if you have a leak and you don't know about it in a twenty-pound yeah, tank. Yeah, in a twenty-pound tank, I've had the same twenty-pound tank for the last two years and still haven't filled it. And so the idea is that if you had a leak and lost it one day, I've lost two years of beer. Right. Well, I think I, I think you and I kind of have opposite strategies, and I think both of them are viable. Like you haven't ever had to go get your CO two filled, um, and I think there's something to, to, in home brewing about you know being DIY and being concerned about being frugal. But sometimes, like, how much money am I willing to spend for convenience? And so I feel like that's a good question to ask yourself as you decide what to go buy. I think that that's actually the question you should ask yourself every time when you think about should I build this. Should I go cheap on it or should I go the, you know, just the way that's super convenient? 
you know, I think that that's kind of the way it's working was specifically when we talk about like electric brewing systems, not to get super sidetracked, but the idea is that like, you know, hey, I could go spend $700 by uh, or $800 by a grandfather. It's got everything I'm going to need to brew right. and I'm going to save myself a lot of time and hassle, be able to use it on my phone. And uh, you're going to be able to make good beer with it. Great beer. I've had great beer yeah. with the brew father, right? Uh, a lot of guys in my homebrew club have them and they love them. But, you know, for me, one of my big things that I love about it is the idea of like, hey, how do I solve this problem? And how do I figure it out with the stuff I have laying around or just, you know, run down to Home Depot and buy some parts or whatever I need to do. And so there is definitely those that that's always a factor that's weighing in those decisions that I make. Um, but even then, like with a, a kegging system, yeah, you, you know, you're going to want to have uh, a keg. You want to have a regulator. You want to have uh a, a co2 bottle and figure out the size that's best for your system right sure right. and and so like for example if you're if you're using a picnic tap in a dorm fridge a 20 pound tank's not going to cut it it doesn't even fit in it right no and you, so, yeah, you're gonna it's the second hole you gotta drill through that that's no good exactly and then uh if, you, if you've got uh you know a five pound tank's gonna be fine it's gonna fit inside that fridge it's not gonna take up too much room and to be honest you know you can get around six months uh, you know depending on how fast you drink beer uh you can get six months to almost a year out of a five pound tank and be just fine well i think one advantage to having a bigger tank and, and this kind of comes in like once you start kegging um co2 is dead useful when you're kegging beer and not just for pushing the beer and carbonating the beer uh co2 is useful for cleaning your lines co2 is useful for for purging your pump like if you want to like if on brew day if you want to just knock some co2 through and like like clear out your pump there's lots of awesome things to do with co2 co2 is good if you have like a I would always recommend having a valve on your regulator or having an extra uh, or or even if you have just the one regulator but you have um, like a, a splitter uh, so you can have a like a, a co2 wand coming off so like when you bottle a growler you can pump co2 into there uh, to, to clear it out and if you have a 20 pound tank you're probably a lot more willing to blow co to blow through co2 for some of those useful things I'm actually pretty conservative with my co2 usage uh, with my baby tanks yeah I uh transfer beer from you know my fermenter to my keg using co2 and why because it doesn't really even affect oxygen free transfer is amazing and that's the thing we're like with my little 20 ounce tanks if you if you think hey man i'm gonna be so intense about this beer process that i don't want my beer to touch oxygen and i want to see how much better i can get my beer if i can keep it away from oxygen yeah you, you should get a big tank yeah exactly and if you have a kegging system guess what you have you have a tag sitting around right so yeah it, yeah, you go keg, keg to keg. So um, now I have a very strong opinion about the type of keg you should buy, especially if you're if you're new to home brewing and trying to save money. Uh, it's not a very popular one. I I think that you can't convince me that I should spend fifteen to twenty more twenty dollars more on a keg, and sometimes even more than that to get a ball lock keg. The pin lock ones uh, work just fine. The only drawback I can see that's worth the money is that when you go to to serve your beer with your fellow home brewers. They're mostly going to have ball lock setups, and you're going to have to bring your own shit every time. True. The other part is is that the ball lock setup also has a pressure relief valve in the in the keg lid, whereas the pin locks tend to not. And they that right. pressure relief valve has to is basically just goes at a certain pressure point, right? I think it's 120 psi. It's it gives. Uh, right. But 
It's not gonna have a yeah. problem with beer, but it is late. when you're purging CO two. You have to use your thumb to like knock down the little post on the exactly on the, uh, the CO two. So, so it's a little, it's a little, it's a little shitty to do that. You can buy a lid, but then you're right back at the price of the ball lock keg. Exactly. But if you want to save money and you're trying to get into kegging for cheap, and the cheapest kegs out there definitely are pin lock. Uh, those are actually the Coke version. If if you really right. want to know the history of it all, is that Pepsi's ball lock. Coke is Pinlock. Yet, I just uh, I have a rarity out there. I have an Italian Coke ball oh, lock. Oh, you have the racetrack lid? <laughs> no, I have a I have a Coke ball lock. Oh no, Coke ball lock. Yeah, I wasn't listening. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I have a Coke ball lock, but it's from Italy. That's why. Uh, but uh, the idea is that uh, you know, in general, in the USA, if it's a Coke keg, you know, because these are old soda kegs. Uh, it's going to be a pin lock, and if it's a ball lock, it's an old Pepsi keg. The thing is, is that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you could get ball locks for cheap, and then homebrew kegging became a thing, and people Absolutely, started yeah. really getting into it, and uh, the the amount of second market ball lock kegs out there has really gone down, and the ones you can find that are used are really bad quality at this point. Right. Uh, I got a I used, uh, you know, I got a used ball lock keg just a couple years ago for my local homebrew shop. He was like, you know, 25 bucks for these kegs and like the bottom of it, you know, the, the bottom part that it sets in came undone. And, you know, now I had to glue it back together. So they need some work. They need some love. They need some new O-rings. They need a lot to make sure that they hold pressure. Right. And so the idea is that, you know, those are definitely that way you could buy new ones and new ones aren't even yeah. that expensive uh they no, use- wait, not yeah. anymore i think rel- relative relative to the price of used ball lock kegs the new ones are relatively affordable um yeah it, I, I make small batches so i've always really been tempted to buy those two and a half gallon new kegs yep um but they're like the same price as the five gallon used kegs and i can't bring myself to do it yeah well and that's kind of uh the 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 deal that we all feel inside but the idea is that, like, you know, I think that there's like the brand out there that's like Torpedo, seventy five bucks. Yeah, you can have nice. a you can have a brand new keg. Uh, they're stackable. They're stackable. So, like, for example, if you have a Keyser set up like mine, which we'll get into that portion, um, you're gonna need to have like you're gonna have, you know, you could have like let's say four taps on a on a keyser that maybe only fits three kegs, but you can actually have two, two and a half gallon kegs that stack on each other and then have that split amongst two kegs, uh, two taps, I mean. And so there's a lot of different configurations you can have with those kegs. So you got to have a keg, a regulator, you got to have a tap, right? Yeah. You're going to, yeah. And you know, if you're starting off, you're probably going to be good with the picnic tap, uh, that costs you two bucks and you put at the end of a, of a, of a, uh, a quarter inch hose. Um, that's uh, that's the, I think one of the things when I first started kicking that was really confusing um, was figuring out what lines I'm supposed to use for what. So typically it's the three eighths line for the for the gas and the quarter inch line for the for the for the beer serving and beer traveling. Um, and I think that you know if you're looking for that, just make sure you know it's going to be two different size lines, and typically you have you have a different size hardware for the gas fittings and the, and the beer fittings. Exactly. So like, for example, the little barbs you would see on like a ball lock are going to fit into that quarter inch. Whereas like the three eights, uh, you're going to have, it's going to be a much wider hose and that's usually for the gas. Uh, the other thing is, is that, uh, you, you got to balance the line. So you want to make sure you have it long enough and, and you know, 
I'm not going to get into this podcast and in, in too much into the like how long what the math equation is for balancing a line, but the idea is that you have to think about a elevation matters. I'm at five thousand feet, and so I'm at five thousand feet. I actually have a bit of a longer line because of that. But the idea is that you, if you have too short of a line, that's really where the issue becomes. Because imagine if you were to put a tap on a 15 psi keg straight to that and tried to pour beer at 15 psi straight out of it it's gonna be a foam mess and it's gonna blow out the top just like if you put too much sugar in the bottle (laughs) same idea right but if you have uh, enough line so let's say you have you know five or six feet of line that come off of that and go into your tap it, it allows that pressure to reduce so that by the time it gets to your tap it's actually going to pour at a level that's brisk enough to fill a glass so you're not like waiting for a drizzle and you but it but it's also not coming out so fast that it's out also like you know making it so that your beer's totally foam right i think essentially what you're trying to do is trying to get the di- the difference in the pressure in your keg and the, and the the pressure uh and the resistance of the line to be off by like you know less than a psi uh, there's plenty of resources online for you to go and check check the math on that but it, you know, you brought up an interesting point about your altitude, and I thought that you were going to talk about the altitude of the spigot, not the altitude of your city. Um, if you are using a picnic tap, you have kind of a built-in advantage because the the resistance, you know, the higher you hold the tap, the, the more resistance you're going to get because gravity is going to add resistance. So if you are using a picnic tap and you feel like, and you end up with too short a line, you can just pull that thing straight up in the air and pour the beer like at eye level or above your head, and you're gonna it's going to balance it out a little bit. It's a, it's a fun little trick. That yeah, is a fun little trick, and yes, that does matter, right? If it's uh, flow, if if liquid's flowing down here, it takes less pressure, right? Right, absolutely. And then that's you know, it's more important to balance your lines if you are going to build a keyser, which we're going to get into in just a little bit, because the the height of your of your tap is fixed. Yes, so you, and you, you, you can't deploy that. You can't, and the height of your tap is also not overly different between the two right so it's yeah, like no it's gonna be very close to the top of your keg. exactly so you know you'll see a lot of them that have a lot of hose inside for that reason yeah absolutely uh so you've got a tap you've got picnic taps uh i've seen like you know people that have handheld like guns that they've uh, bought that like you know hey i don't have a, a you know let's say i just have a fridge uh that has my kegging system in it and so I'm then gonna just you know pour straight from there. One thing that we do talk about uh, a kegging system, and you have to absolutely have this before you keg. And this is probably the most expensive part of it is you gotta have a fridge. You cannot, yeah. you can't keg at room temperature. I've seen this question asked many, many times over the years. You, hey, you can't get the CO2 to stay in solution, so it won't. And then your beer will be warm anyway, so it's whatever. Exactly that. Your CO2 won't stay in solution, and then your beer is going to, well, and even if you had, like, for example, uh, a jockey box to run it through to get it cold before it came out, if right. the CO2 is not in solution in the first place, it's not going to work. Well, I mean, I think a common misconception about a jockey box uh, is that it's okay to just leave warm beer and run it through a jockey box. I mean, a jockey box is really meant to to facilitate Keep. the pouring of beer without, like, an active fridge. But the beer still should be cold yes. when it goes into the jockey box. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It should come from a fridge and then go straight to the jockey box. Yeah, or, or it should be, you know, like, a, a good setup, like, you know, for a homebrew club, a lot of times you'll see, like, uh, you know – 
kegs that were in a fridge that now have to be outside because that's what we're doing. We're out at this festival or whatever. Uh, but the, you know, that those things work better if the kegs are in like a thermal sleeve or something, because you really want the beer as cold as possible going into the jockey box. Um, yeah, the, the, the jockey box is, is really just there to make sure that the, the beer gets from keg to glass without gaining too much temperature. Exactly. And, and that's a big deal of having it. One, one other thing to that though, is that if you do, carbonate your keg the traditional way like bottling and prime it with sugar and leave it at room temperature that is one way to carbonate your keg as well but when you're serving it you still have to have cold beer to serve it just doesn't work any other otherwise it will be a foamy mess exactly exactly so those are kind of your solutions that it you know if you don't have a fridge that you can store your keg in then don't keg that was that would be my number one piece of advice uh you can get cheap freezers. And before we move on to like the Keezer build, one other uh, quick thing that I see all the time when people try to serve beer out of my fridge, because I, I still have a picnic tap uh, in my in my chest freezer. And if someone comes to my house and tries to pour beer, they try to eliminate the foam by like opening the tap handle like halfway. And this is a terrible idea because that just creates like when you open the tap, the little picnic tap halfway, you just create a little foam creator. You need that that hole to be wide open so there's less resistance and then you then you get a nice pour so don't don't try to open your picnic taps halfway folks yes and don't put your glass to the tap either right that's that's not helping anybody yeah that doesn't help anything and all it does is just make your tap dirty uh (laughs) i every time and and how many bars have i walked into that they do that right even 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 breweries when you go in we'll do you'll have folks who do it yeah exactly so uh there should be a little bit of an air gap there all right, so then let's talk about, like, all right, so we've got a kegging set up, right? And uh, we've got a keg. Now we want to expand. We want to actually have a kegerator, like, you know, the, the style that, you know, we have. There's a couple of ways we could go, right? I, I think that there's uh, uh, the, the, I think my first kegerator, actually, was where I took a dorm fridge. I yep, put a, yep. uh, I, I, I went and bought a draft tower from, like, uh, eBay right and uh and i uh basically drilled a hole in the top of my dorm fridge and and basically stuck the draft tower right on top of that and i had like a little uh one tap set up that way now this is a this is a spot where pintlock and ball lock can start to matter because one of them is shorter and sometimes with those dorm fridges you want that shorter form factor and the shorter keg is it's the pinlock keg i didn't i didn't prepare that for the no it's ball lock the ball ball locker, the yep. shorter ones. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. So they, if if you if you are going to try to squeeze it into a dorm fridge, you probably want to go with the with the ball lock keg, the shorter form factor. Yeah, specifically the 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 taps themselves are shorter, right? The the, right. the pin know, locks are Be- longer. CM Becker makes a a squat size pin lock connector. Uh, you can get it from KetConnection.com. That's what I use. They're really nice. There you go. So they make everything for everything now, and. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, you know, what I did is, you know, then bolted it on. Uh, I did put a small fan in there to try to blow cold air up to my up 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 my uh, uh, along my lines to try to keep it cold. But you know, in the end, I still had to just clear my line to get the foam out because it didn't right. keep it cold enough. Um, but one of the, you know, I had bought an old dorm fridge. It didn't work out so well. It actually, the compressor died on it, and I ended up, uh, you know, just giving it away to another home brewer, I think, for parts, and that's what this ended up a, with going on with that. This is a story of many, of many homebrew fridges. Exactly. Right. And then uh, from there, 
I went and built a Keezer was my next was my next plan, right? And right, so nice. uh and you have all the parts for a Keezer, you just haven't done it yet, right? That that's correct. Right now we're in between houses, so I don't know when I'm going to get my garage and my tools back. Uh probably sometime in the next month or so and then I might have time for 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 that project. But yeah, um I went uh I went with the inner taps when they first came out, so I have some inner tap flow control faucets. I'm pretty excited about. Uh, yeah, and uh, all all the fittings. I would say go with the longer shanks, because uh, why would you skimp? I mean, if you get shanks that are too short, it'll just be sad when you're trying to. So I I can actually speak to that. Let's answer that question, right? Yeah. So what length of shank do you need? Actually. Don't go too long because if you go too long, it's going to hang over and actually give you less room to maneuver kegs around, right? Oh, oh, fair enough. Fair so, enough. So, yeah. so let's say you have like a, a six or a nine inch shank going in there, and it's hanging out over the top of your kegs. You're actually going to have less space to maneuver them around and get them in and out. Um, to be fair, I meant four versus three inch shank. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So a four inch shank usually does it. Um, to be honest. The way to build a keyser, and, and at least the plans that I used, and and it's been a few years since I've built my keyser, which is basically, um, I would take, I took a two by six, um, board, sure. actually two of them, uh, I took one that was the facade in the front, and uh, and then I basically, uh, took, so the two by sixes, were, uh, of the base for the entire collar, right? So the idea of what a keyser is just so you guys know, is it's a chest freezer where you basically take the lid off, you build a wood collar so that you can punch holes in it. The reason that you can't drill through uh, the side of a chest freezer is that's where actually all the cooling coils are, and if you drill through the side of it, you're going to break your freezer. Uh, It will not keep your beer cold anymore. It will not work at all, right? And so the idea is that you're kind of building a wood collar that is around the sides and the front and in the back it doesn't really matter as much you're really just putting you're securing the lid to the back and you're basically then drilling holes through that so you're not actually destroying your your freezer and uh you're putting all of your your kegging hardware through the wood collar right and then from there you're going to then be able to you know uh what what i do is i keep my my 20 pound co2 tank on the outside of it and i just drilled a hole through the collar to run the hose through and then you know keep it sealed up but one of the things that uh that you you find is that room is always a big deal with the keyser so you know whatever you decide you're going to do you want to make sure what 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 i've always done is uh i took my kegs and i took a piece of cardboard and i drew a circle around it cut it out and then i did it for you know three or four of them and i laid them down in the bottom to make sure how many kegs that would fit and that's how many taps went i could fit three kegs right. in there i have a three tap kaiser right that's how i figured it out so I, that's definitely something i tell you to do so what you're going to do is you're going to take a couple of you're going to take some two by sixes you're going to m- measure around the circumference of your free of your freezer and yep. you're going to set them on the on the lip of that right and you're just gonna i took some some l brackets to make them secure into a, a kind of a square box with no top or bottom right and uh you know got them all kind of in a in in that piece but then what you're going to do is you're going to over and borrow, borrow a miter saw when you do this because it'll yes. make your life better do the miter saw 
seriously takes this down to like boom, boom, boom. Really easy. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't have a miter saw, borrow a miter saw. It's awesome. My first uh, keyser I built, because I'm actually on my second one, my first one that I had built, uh, I tried to use a circular saw and it just looked crappy. So the miter saw is definitely key. Yeah, yeah my, my neighbor at my last house, he had one. I just went and borrowed it. Boom, boom, boom. Definitely the way to yeah. go. I chide. We, we bought one ourselves because we do a lot of home projects. And I just I, I chide. I chide anyone who, who does any project and doesn't borrow it from us. I'm like, please just take it. I want I want your life to be better. Yes. The miter saw light makes your life better on this. And then you're going to take a one by eight. Right. So you've got a two by six and a one by eight. Well, sure. guess what? The difference between this is that the one by eight is, yes, thinner, but it's also fatter. Like it's a fatter board. Right. Right. And you're going to line up the top of that one by eight. So you have kind of like, think of this as like a lip. You're going to have a lip to set the collar on, but then the, the one by eight kind of overhangs the front so that it, it's like a, it, it kind of, in place. Yeah, it holds you in place. It also allows you to put weather stripping on the bottom of it so that you have a good seal because a good seal is really, really important with a keyser because then it, it helps you not build up so much condensation in it. Right, and condensation is, and mold go together. These are bad things for beer. Totally bad things for beer, and you don't want a lot of condensation. You're going to always have a little bit of water in a keyser. It's just kind of part of the deal, but if you have no leaking air going into it, it, it helps mitigate that. Uh, what I always do is every couple months, I actually have a uh, – it, it's a plug-in like dehumidifier. So yeah. I have that. It, it turns purple. I plug it in for a few hours. It, it dries it out. I put it back in. That's a great way to keep your humidity down. Uh, there's also RID, which is a kind of like a bottle, okay. uh, like a, a dehumidifier that you can just like buy at Home Depot. They're like five bucks. They last for a few months. Um, but then what I do is uh, when I run out of beer, so usually I just kind of run out of beer all at once and then I brew a bunch of beer at once. That's kind of my style of brewing yeah your float, yeah yeah and so when i run out of beer i actually pull them all out take the shop back and suck up all the little bit of water that's left in there so that's also another way i keep it dry nice uh, yeah um, so uh, yeah go ahead so, for, where, so how many how many kegs are in the, your current keyser build uh three three and like are you how many different co2 pressures are you rocking in that thing i can rock three so i have oh, a nice. yeah so for my setup personally and and if you have the money to do this this is how i recommend doing it right there there's two way approaches to go i actually have a four regulator setup okay. so i have a regulator that's on my tank that regulator is actually set at about 50 psi so it's set it's real your, high it's your, it's your carving pressure it's uh, my carving pressure is actually 40 but i actually have it higher than my carving pressure sure um and so what I do is then I have inside a tree with three separate keg, uh, regulators that I can step down from 50. Sure. And so every keg has its own regulator, and so it has its own pressure. So I can have two kegs carving and one keg serving. That's kind of what you get when you have multiple regulators. It is definitely expensive. Uh, even on the cheap end, if you go to like, uh, you know, uh, on the internet and look for the cheapest, it's still going to cost you around 150 bucks to get a three K, uh, a, a three or four regulator setup. It's not going to be cheap. Well, and I would recommend, in addition, I mentioned earlier, kind of having a T off of there. So you could always have like a spare CO2, uh, uh, outlet that you didn't yep. have to like change fittings on. Um, it's also a pro move to to keep even an extra one, and you don't need an extra regulator for this. You just need an extra an extra an extra valve and an extra hose. Um, but if you keep an extra fitting, so I have a cleaning keg. 
So what, what I do is I, I basically have a keg that's outside of my keys all the time. But if I'm going to clean my lines, instead of like having to like take a keg out or move a keg in, or I just put the whatever I'm cleaning with in there, swap out the fittings onto that cleaning keg, and boom, I just clean the lines right through that cleaning keg. And you don't have to take the CO2 off your off your beer. Exactly. And that's actually exactly what I do as well. I have oh, a cleaning, sweet. I, yeah. I have a cleaning keg as well. Uh, to be honest, that's how the pros do it. Uh, right. They all have cleaning kegs. I, I don't know if anybody's ever seen one, and they're all sinky anyway, but the idea is that uh, if you've ever seen a keg that has like seven sankeys on the outside of it, like around the top, like it looks like a, almost like a science project on the top of this keg. Um, yeah. The idea is that those are cleaning kegs. They're filled with cleaning solution, and they can clean like seven lines at the same time. Oh, that's badass. Yeah. I, I just cleaned the one line at once. So that's... Yeah. Randomly, uh, one of my best friends, I'm from Salt Lake City before I moved to Denver, and back when I lived in Salt Lake City, one of my best friends actually, like, that was his job. He cleaned lines for a living, and he ran the company that did all that, and his uh, back of his truck was filled with, like, the cleaning supplies, and I was always like, dude, those kegs are so awesome. Too bad that they don't fit my stuff. But but, uh, the idea is that you know, you definitely want to clean your lines. Uh, I clean my lines between every keg. That's just a kind of my routine. I, I highly recommend keeping your lines clean. It helps you not transfer flavors of beer. Also, it helps you not build up mold and gunk and crap in your lines that could contaminate your beer. Right, I, and I like to buy the expensive lines because I feel like if I'm going to make, I'm going to spend all this time on my beer. I want it to be in the fancy non-microbial shit. And when you let those things go to mold, then you feel really bad because you wasted expensive lines. Exactly. And the non-microbial loans are, are lines are definitely recommended in this anyway. Uh, and then you've got uh, – so, you know, my setup is I have a regulator. I have three regulators. They go down, and then that gas runs in. You have your liquid lines that run up into your taps that are now shanked through your wood, drilled in. Right. The lid's secure on top. Um, and that's pretty much it, it is a pretty simple project i will link in the show notes just uh you know for any listeners that you know you're thinking about building a keezer uh i'll link to some you know some builds that people have done some step-by-step guides on how to do one just because you know it, it is a step in the evolution of like hey i want to have you know I, I start off bottling maybe i have a uh you know a lot of guys are you know you know, I have a picnic tap in a fridge and that's kind of my go-to or I have an old fridge in my garage and maybe I just have like a gas and it comes out the side of my fridge. I drilled a hole through it. Like there's a lot of that out there. And then the, the next step is like, if you want to have multiple taps, you want to have kind of your, your home brewery set up that keyser is kind of that next level. Well, I think it, it, it all comes sort of full circle because you get your, your, your keys are set up. You have your temperature control in there. You're feeling really good about your serving temperature and all that jazz. And then you're like, damn, I want to take this beer somewhere else. And you want to put it back in a bottle from your keg. So it kind of kind of wraps around for you because you need more equipment for that. Yeah, totally goes full circle. Personally, for me, I, I built what, what I actually did is I took my old picnic tap and uh, I put a, I, I took a racking cane and just put uh, just shaved an edge to a, to like an angle. And uh, I, all I do is uh, if I know I'm going to bottle soon, and this doesn't work all the time, but if I know I'm going to bottle for like a competition or something like that, I crank my gas up a little bit higher for a few days before I actually bottle. Then I turn it down to like one PSI and I fill a bottle real slow. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. 
you know, and, you know, purge the bottle with some gas before I do it. And if you put like a cork on the end of this, you can actually make it so that you have like a little bit of a, like, you know, counter flow there. Um, that's definitely a setup that I've seen. Um, there's also like the beer gun. I think there's like the Blickman beer gun. They're 80 bucks. Uh, they work really, really well. Um, There's also like if uh, if you go on AliExpress, there's definitely like uh, counter flow chill- counter flow fillers you can buy there. Um, no, you have you have one of those, those, right? Yeah, I got it. Basically, it was I got it from Amazon, but it was it was still like I got like it was for fifty bucks or whatever. So it's one of the cheap guys, and I got it. And so the way those work is you you it has a stopper. You put it in. You have the beer, and I got one of the ones with one valve. So it's one ball valve that controls the gas and the liquid. Okay. Uh, so it's a three-way ball valve. That's that's really nice. But the the valve that controls the airflow out, because the idea is you put it in there, and there's a little valve where you can control the air out of the bottle, and you you basically try to get your beer into the bottle and the same pressure out. Yeah. So you fill it with CO2, and then you kind of normalize your beer pressure flow and then that that release valve so that the CO2 is escaping the bottle and the beer feels nice and slow. That valve is broken. It's been broken. <laughs> since the day i got it so what i do is i've kind of mastered the feel that has it has a little plastic bung on the thing that goes into your bottle and i've mastered the feel of just using my thumb to rest right up against that bung to release just enough pressure as i fill the bottle to not blow it up um but there's beer on the ceiling sometimes when i fuck that up yeah totally and to be honest that's uh what i'm doing i'm just doing it with like a plastic picnic tap it's exactly the same idea yeah absolutely you're just yeah and with the counter with the counter flow bottle filler i don't have to go through the i don't have to knock the pressure down in the in the serving yeah Uh, but um but i I still knock it down a little bit because i I find it tends to help a little bit like if i'm serving at 12 i'll knock it down to like eight to bottle yeah and it really knocking the pressure down a little bit as long as your beer's not gonna be any less carbonated just flows out slower Right, and that, that's just going to help you. Yeah, your beer's not going to just all. You know how hard it is to get carbonation out of beer. That's why you have to shake it up. That's that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the idea is that. Uh, but to be honest, I, if I'm going to a party, uh, I have the inner taps as well. Um, yeah. You know, I have the stainless steel inner taps. A lot of people have the perlic taps as well. I think those are like the two most popular taps on the homebrew right. setup right now. Um, but I like the inner taps personally. A, they're a little bit cheaper than the perlics. B, they have the ability to kind of swap out different faucets on the front, right? Right. And so they, I, they, they have the growler filling faucet connector. Yeah. yeah. And I have that. And so it's it's eight dollars. It's not super expensive. And so I have that, and what it does is it, you know, it has a hose on it, and I fill growlers. And uh, so if I'm right. going to a party, I got a homebrew club every month, and when we go to our homebrew club and we do our, our tasting, I just fill up a growler and I bring it, and I just do it right off my tap, and uh, you know, I don't have to change the pressure. It comes off the hose. It works great. Right. You only really need to worry about naturalizing the pressure and preserving the carbonation if you're going to send it to competition. You're not going to drink it right away. Exactly. If you're going to actually put a cap on it, that becomes a really big deal. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the the growler for the I think the inner tap sealed better and lasts longer. I think it's just a better product. I think the internet if you, if you want to go down like the internet conspiracy themes, like inner tap basically stole Perlix design and made it better and then they sell it cheaper. Totally. And and actually all of the difference is if you really want to know is that uh the Perlix has a ball in the in the in the handle in the forward seal. 
Yeah. And, and Perlick made theirs a little bit square, so it sat in there and didn't move the, the O-ring around. That was the difference. Right, and, then, and the O-ring degrades and then leaks over time, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. To be honest, uh, when I first started homebrewing, my friend who does all of the uh, the tap lines for his job, I was going to buy uh, the... I was going to buy the uh, Perlick taps and he was like, don't buy those. And I was like, why not buy those? And he's like, they degrade over time and they drip. And, but he's dealing with like a bar, right? And a right. bar sure. pours tens, you know, like thousands of beers in a day. He's talking about like the, the mo- uh, hundreds or thousands of beers in a day. Right. And so they're wearing out way faster than like right. a homebrew level would. And so, you know what? If if Perlick is the way you want to go, they're great taps. They're going to last you a long time. They're going to be fine. And just be- replace the O-ring if you're sad. Yeah, if you just replace the O-ring. His would – the but in a bar setting, they actually did leak a lot because uh, because of that. They, they right. have redesigned it. They did, you know, make it so that they could replace the O-rings. But the inner taps never have an issue. And right. the best thing you can buy for an inner tap is – there's a, a spring you can buy. It's about $2 extra. And you put the spring back there, and then they auto-close. Oh, that's badass. Yeah. So yeah. It's, you buy the spring, you put it inside, and then when you pull, when you let go, it just closes itself. It's it's great and highly recommend that, especially yeah, if you have I, kids. And I think, you know, if, if you just started homebrewing and, and you have bottled a couple of times, like bottling, I think, is the thing that causes most people to stop brewing. So, you know, if you think about, like, the the setup you're talking about not with not necessarily with the with the four regulators but you can go from zero to hero in kegging for 400 bucks or less um and, and that's including like hoses and clamps and a regulator and a ke- and a couple kegs a cleaning keg I mean, you can do it cheaper than that but that's like you know getting the stuff you need to really do what you want to do totally and let actually uh, i i i kind of want to talk about that in the fact that like kegging also gets you beer to glass faster right yeah, because you don't have to wait two weeks uh, to have your, your stuff carbonate. Yes, exactly. It's like uh, I if you do a low-gravity beer and it's not something that uh, – like like a Hefeweizen. It's like a 1040 right. Hefeweizen, right? And, uh, you know, like a style that's meant to be drank really fresh. Uh, you can you could definitely be grain to glass nine days. Yeah, well, I think if you do, if you have some of the other tools that you often talk about, like the ice spindle, where you're monitoring fermentation and you understand when it's done, and then let it sit for a couple of days after it's done, you can go even faster than that. Um, I, I, I wouldn't recommend doing it unless you you know really what you're doing. But uh, yeah, just, the, small the, batch, low gravity beers, they'll go quick. Yeah, totally. Uh, to be honest, most low because I do have that kind of data when I do my low gravity beers. They're normally done in like two or three days. Yeah, but you don't want to go right then. No, because then it has that green beer flavor. Yeah, that's no good. You got to let it sit at least a little bit. Exactly. Have it sit a little bit and kind of go that road. Um, other than that, I, I mean, what other kind of packaging of beer can you think about? You know, it's pretty much bottles and kegs, right? Yeah, I mean, for, at a homebrew scale, I think it's bottle and kegs. I, I heard recently that, that there was a, a homebrew movement with, like, getting home crawler machines. And that's... You know, I don't have anything to say about that except that's a little bit badass. Except I also hate crawlers at breweries, but whatever. Why do you hate cal- crawlers at breweries? I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, so in general, I feel like in my experience, I've been more likely to get an oxidized beer out of a crawler than any other serving vessel. Uh, uh, you can you can fill a crawler correctly and not have oxidized beer, but I think a lot of people 
uh, a lot of the the, the breweries uh, take about as much care in filling a crowler as they do a growler, but people might keep a crowler longer than they would ever keep a growler. Totally. Like, like there's a built-in expectation that a crowler you can take and you know put in your fridge for two or three weeks. Like if I if I go get a growler and I bring it home and drink it three weeks later and it's oxidized, that's that's my fault. Yeah, that uh, make yeah that does make a lot of sense. They they do have actually home canning machines. There's like the I think the October, uh, I think that's the brand. Uh, don't quote me on that. But Uh, there is a with that it, it is kind of like you know you're gonna get oxygen in there because right. you're just like filling the can with your beer uh you are filling you know you would still fill this off of a keg I, I don't think this is something you would be like uh you know conditioning in a can right no I, why can conditioning seems risky i i think you could but uh i don't think people do it but the idea is that like you're gonna fill it off a keg you're gonna then you know seal the can right then and there um the ones that i've seen do like 16 and uh you know 12 ounce cans so they do different sizes of cans but i haven't actually seen one in real life the people that have been doing home canning you know at least that i've talked to online said that they love it so uh you know but it's not something that I super know a lot about because I've never done it. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm I'm right there with you. But I think um, it, it's a far cry just to get in into kegging and to be able to have you know just be able to go down to your basement or wherever you keep your keyser and uh, pour yourself a draft anytime of uh, your favorite recent homebrew. It's pretty badass. It is. It is. It's and definitely. Don't, and don't be ashamed to get a Sankey tap and uh, have some of your local craft beer uh, down there available every now and again too. Totally. It, to be honest, uh, if you have a Sinky, uh, if you want to get a commercial, you know, there's actually a kit you can find on most homebrew shops. It's about $22. They will actually convert any ball lock keg to a Sinky. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, so you just take the Sinky tap and, and you replace the gas and uh, liquid hoses with these two adapters. And you basically put your ball uh, lock adapters on the outside of the Sinky. Works like a champ. I have one. And then I can have both. You know, I could either have three commercial kegs or I could have three homebrew kegs going or, you know, a mix of both. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's, so it's uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Highly recommend that. So other than that, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think I have anything else to talk about packaging and, uh, you know, you, you got anything else, Aaron? No, I mean, I think uh, right now my beer is empty and I think I'm, I'm probably going to hop off uh, right after we get finished and unpackage some beer. There we go. Sounds like a good time. So, uh, <laughs> well, I will. Uh, well, thanks for being on the call, Aaron, and thank you for doing the show. Uh, if if you have a chance, check out the Plato's Gravity podcast. It's a great show. Uh, it, it's a good thank time. You. They're really great guys to listen to. And, and really, you know, it's not. Uh, it's not dick and fart jokes. It's really just uh, it's it's guys who love beer and really have some great conversations. Thanks a lot. Uh, we enjoyed doing it, and I've enjoyed being on the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. I'd like to thank Aaron for being on the show. It was a great conversation, and it was really just a good time to see him again. 
And if you have a chance to check out the Plato's Gravity podcast, head over to platosgravity.com and check it out. Give it a listen. It's a really great show. Last, if you have any feedback on the show, please send an email to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, you can always track us down. Look for the handle at homebrewingdiy. Last, we have switched to Patreon. So if you want to support the podcast at any monthly level, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewingdiy. Well, that's the end of today's show. We'll see you next week on Homebrewing DIY. Homebrewing DIY.